and this is the Influence Watch podcast. You would think that nobody remotely close to powering the United States would praise the barbarous attacks by the Palestinian terrorist group Hamas against Israel that happened in early October 2023. But one very prominent activist group's leader did. Council on American-Islamic Relations, or CARE, whose national executive director, Nihad Awad, told the American Muslims for Palestine Convention that he, quote, was happy to see the people of Gaza break the siege on October 7th. Joining me to discuss the background, influence, and future of CARE are my colleague Ryan Morrow and Dexter Van Zyl, Managing Editor of the Middle East Forum's focus on Western Islamism. Uh, first, Ryan, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, Dexter, welcome. And before we begin, can you tell us uh, a little bit about your background and the work that you do for Middle East Forum? Sure. Uh, I edit a website called Focus on Western Islamism, which can be found at uh, islamism.news. And essentially what we do is we document the efforts of Islamists in the United States uh, and Europe and North America in general uh, to essentially undermine uh, Western democracies uh, and essentially uh, impose, uh, you know, an Islamist set of standards on uh, not only just government operations, but also uh, essentially society itself. What, what and, would be, what would uh, be what your sort what would be your like pocket definition of Islamism as opposed to Islam, the religion? Okay. Well, first of all, you know, Islam itself is a 1400 year old religion that has a, a huge number of different interpretations and practices. And Islamism itself is essentially an ideology that erupted in the early 1900s in response to the humiliation uh, that Arabs and Muslims endured uh, over the you know previous centuries uh, with the ascendancy of Western civilization. And, 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 the, and the fall of the Ottoman Empire. Right, absolutely. And what they were hoping to do, once the caliphate left, they were essentially wanted to remove, uh, you know, bad Muslim rulers from power and basically achieve ascendancy in the modern world. And, um, you know, that, that started, and it, you know, in the 1920s, and uh, that sense of humiliation became even more profound with Israel's creation in the mid-20th century. And essentially, they come up with this idea that uh, their brand of Islam is a solution to all of the problems that Muslims and are, are facing in the modern world. And they want to impose, essentially, their interpretation and practice of the faith on non-Muslims and their fellow Muslims as well, who don't see things the way they do. Ryan, would you more or less agree with that? Uh, yes, uh, I would just summarize it by saying Islam is a faith, a religion um, with different interpretations, um, but Islamism is a political ideology, even if it has a scriptural basis. Um, and, and I think that's kind of where we draw the line uh, is once you start pursuing theocratic government, even if it involves elections, but it's still based on Sharia law, based on Islamist state religion. Uh, then it, you've now crossed over into Islamism. So, how does Islam? How does care tie into Islamism as opposed to just being? Because I think a lot of people just believe they're just another constituency group for a, an American minority group. Right. So, um, as Dexter can speak equally uh, to, uh, care is 
probably the most influential, especially politically, Muslim American organization in the United States. Uh, they kind of rally all the activism together. Uh, they have high-level political connections. They're embraced by people, especially on the left, um, who see them as a civil liberties organization. Um, and so they've had mainstream credibility, even though uh, they were f formed, according to the Justice Department and according to uh, FBI wiretap transcripts, they were formed as part of the Muslim Brotherhood's secret pro-Hamas apparatus in the United States in 1994. Like the FBI literally wiretapped the meeting the previous year where founders of CARE and other Hamas and Muslim Brotherhood members and supporters were gathering and saying, the U.S. is probably going to prescribe Hamas as a foreign terrorist organization. How do we continue operations and how can we continue forward with a, with new fronts that can't be as easily traced to Hamas? Um, and you can see them in great detail to, discussing the use of strategic deception in order to form new organizations. Then the before, next year, before we, before we go too much further, and this can go to either of y'all, who are the Muslim Brotherhood? Ah, so Muslim Brotherhood would be the biggest Islamist movement in the world. Um, so a lot, a lot of most, almost all, uh, jihadist terrorist organizations sprung out of the Muslim Brotherhood ideology, even if they go a step further than the Muslim Brotherhood would in terms of terrorist tactics. Uh, but that's kind of like the ideological basis for uh, the, the Islamist movements. And Hamas is a chapter of them. Dexter. Yeah, and the, the irony is, is that like right now, I think there's growing numbers of people in the Middle East that essentially don't really want to have anything to do with the Muslim Brotherhood. Morsi was driven from power a few years ago in Egypt. And I was talking to a, a reform-minded Muslim in the United Kingdom a while back, and I said, okay, you know, basically the Muslim Brotherhood has been not entirely, but largely discredited uh, in the Middle East. And yet you have a whole bunch of these activists that work in nonprofits in the West uh, that basically seem to think that, you know, that they're advocating for the same ideology using, you know, the freedoms of Western democracy. I said, what's going on here? And he says, well, they think they can make Islamism work in the West. And it's astonishing because essentially they're using the very trappings of uh, Western democracies, free speech, political activism, uh, and this language of rights to portray Muslims as if they're the victims when, in fact, they're intent on victimizing non-Muslims in these very democracies. It's astonishing. Right. Yeah. And, the and, and it doesn't have the impact. What, but the thing is, is that when you see burnt bodies in Israel and when you see uh, and hear the testimony of, uh, you know, the victims of Hamas's crimes since October 7th, and then you compare that with what Nihad Awad said. It's very clear we don't have any problems. And I think, you know, in the short term, it's not going to have the effect that we hope it will in the short term. But I think that over the long term, it's going to cause people to basically distance themselves uh, from Islamist organizations in yeah, the so United States. But it's going to take let's, work. Let's build on that. So I think Ryan mentioned that the that care had been very simpatico with the Biden administration, but then after this speech to American Muslims for Palestine got released, got shared on the internet, uh, all of a sudden things got complicated. Uh, either of you guys, can you go through the through the timeline there? Is that essentially 
the thing is, is that there is a vestigial fear of anti-Semitism in the Western democracies. Okay. And what has happened is, is that for many years, essentially, uh, people have basically kind of ignored uh, Muslim and Islamist hostility towards Israel. They were saying it's Zionism, it's not Jews. October 7th made it perfectly clear that, yeah, it was Jews. And the thing is, is that Biden comes from a generation that lived through the World War II. This is where Biden's age is an asset to him. Absolutely. That's exactly the point, is, is that he understood that, you know, historically, anti-Semitism and Jew hatred, like what we see Hamas promoting, has been essentially taboo. It's one of these things that you just kind of say, this is disgusting. And it aroused the disgust on the part of, uh, you know, Biden and other like center stream politicians, mainstream politicians. And once that happened, that that was essentially people realized that their civilization was under attack. And the thing is, is that after World War II, guys came back from World War II hating anti-Semitism. They hated Nazis, and they may not have even liked Jews all that much, to be perfectly honest with you. But they understood that they saw saw where all this could lead. Bingo, bingo. And what happened was, is that once AWOD came out with that statement uh, in late November, uh, essentially, and it took a while for it to basically get uh, uh, publicized, but once it was publicized, Biden immediately had to act. Because, and part of it was, I think it was a visceral response to that. The problem that I worry about is, is that that notion that anti-Semitism is a threat to civilization and a, Islamist anti-Semitism is a strategic threat because it divides us against one another. And it basically, anti-Semitism has been the uh, steed of choice for the four horsemen of the apocalypse for years and years and years. If you want to sow chaos in any complex civilization, you basically use anti-Semitism to sow that chaos. And the problem is, is that people are forgetting that. And what we're seeing is, is that maybe the the last hurrah of people being object, uh, objecting to such virulent expressions of anti-Semitism. Is this where the rise of oppressor oppressed thinking on the left comes in? Right. It's, yeah, all right. Now, this is the problem. Is, is that we have an ideology that basically portrays uh, being a victim as a huge asset, okay? And we also basically have put a whole bunch of people in the, the notion that they are oppressors or victimizers because something other people have done, their ancestors have done. And the easiest way to essentially get to deal with that is to portray yourself as being on the side of the oppressed. And what that what that what people have done is, is that they have embraced by proxy the Arab-Israeli conflict. And they basically portray Israel as the oppressor. And they and it's a low-cost, no-cost way to say, well, I'm on the right side of history and I'm not an oppressor. And, you know, the Black Lives Matter basically promoted grievance on the part of African-Americans and people of color in the United States and guilt on the part of white people in the United States. So what do they do? They go around looking for some sort of social drama to embrace so that they can say, we're okay. Well, I mean, and, and and we, that saw, is we saw one of the chapters, why, I think it was the Chicago chapter of Black Lives Matter the day after the the 10-7 attacks, right, right. you know, posting a paraglider. 
Right. You see, and that, that was that was a shock. And you would think, oh, my word, you would know better than to do that. But the thing is, is that people have been socialized into thinking that the that the Israelis are the new Nazis, the Palestinians are the new Jews. And, and the thing I, is, I mean, is we're, we're having this conversation reversed. on the same day that Israel has to defend itself against South Africa's farcical claim it's engaged in genocide. Right. It's, and the thing is, is that, well, one of the things you have to understand is, is that on the progressive left, the Arab-Israeli conflict took the place of, of uh, anti-apartheid uh, activism from the 1980s. OK, and if you're going to be a progressive leftist uh, who's intent on basically demonstrating that you're on the right side of history, you need a moral drama. That's exactly what you need. You have to have some sort of drama. Mm-hmm. OK. And the thing is, is that, uh, you know, anti-Israel activists have given them that drama. It's counterfactual. It doesn't have anything to do with reality. But that's exactly why people have embraced it. And the thing is, is that Ryan and I have essentially been uh, reciting the facts of this, you know, the, 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 the counterfactual stat status of this drama. We've been doing it for decades. I got a quick story to tell. I'm sorry to monopolize, no, but somebody... Some some guy that basically uh, is in the uh, the uh, the cannabis industry harassed me on uh, LinkedIn. Okay, he said, "Look, I see your Twitter profile. You're basically supporting Israeli genocide, and what what is that about?" And you know what I did was I blocked him immediately, and I and then I wanted to say, I wanted to get back on and and, and correspond with him and say Hamas just killed. A whole bunch of your potential customers at that music con- uh, yeah, the, the Nova, the Nova in Festival. southern Israel. Yeah, the Nova Festival. Are you stupid? Uh, and in fact, they are. And these folks like Nihad Awad, Ibrahim Hooper, they're not really all that smart. Okay? The issue is, is that they're very hardworking and Westerners are so very stupid. Ryan, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think that's a very interesting analysis. Uh, all, or at least all, or close to all, maybe, uh, I definitely agree with. Um, but I would say on, on a broader level, if, if someone's wondering why are we talking so much about care, aside from the fact that they're the top, most influential Muslim American political group in the country, well, why does that even matter? Uh, it has to be understood that what Niyadawa did is a self-indictment, not just of his organization, but also all the top Muslim American organizations that ally with CARE and also will not condemn Hamas and have backed up CARE all this time. It's an indictment of huge sections of the U.S. government, including the counterterrorism, counterextremism apparatus that has in the past, if not just embraced CARE, has defended CARE and said that it's, you know, it's bigotry or conspiracy theories to be concerned about them. It indicts their donors left-leaning foundations um, and whoever else is donating to them, businesses, wealthy individuals that we don't know of. It indicts the think tanks. It indicts especially the media that has continuously gone to them and cited them as a credible source. It indicts left-wing influential groups like Southern Poverty Law Center that have consistently defended them and viciously attacked people that came against CARE. And it was largely on the basis of, oh, those old facts don't matter. The fact that it takes 
more than five seconds for Dexter and I to explain why care is a bad organization up to this point was a problem because of the short attention spans and you couldn't put it in a pithy quote. And it's it's legal proceedings and it's, you know, three degree, you know, it's, it's degrees of Kevin Bacon and how close is close and who said what to whom. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, And that all changed now. Yeah, that's all changed because now we can just contact someone and say, yeah, that group you're meeting with, that group that you're siding with, they celebrated Hamas's terrorist attacks. Here's here's the link. Boom, one sentence, and it gives them that – there's no gray area. There's no nuance for them to find comfortability in in, in order to dodge uh, t- you know, taking a position. It's just right there. Um, and so I actually think we're in a new – in terms of the activism against the Islamist extremist groups in the United States, uh, I think – we're actually in a bit of a new era just because we haven't had this before. Um, and I think it really really gives us the ability to hold them accountable like never before. Right. Now, one of the concerns or issues that I'm raising and and been thinking about, and I'm even reluctant to raise it is what's the deal with mainstream Muslim community? Are they okay with this? Yes or no? Because one of the things that we keep saying in, in our world the world that Ryan and I work with is, is that these Islamist organizations have been able to set themselves up as the spokespeople for the larger Muslim community here in the United States and in the West in general, when in fact they don't really speak on behalf of their interests or their values. But the problem is any replacement for CARE come forward that's really has a large movement. Let's be clear, there exactly. are a lot of there are good reform-minded Muslims that are struggling heroically to, to fix this problem. But as far as the, the, the mainstream Muslim community, where have they been? Take, because if they were take, take wise, it, they take, would know that it, this brings their from, community. Take it from an Irish-descended American, sometimes the struggles of the old country come to the new country. <laughs> right. But the thing is, is that this brings their community into disrepute because essentially American Muslims are paying Nihad a wide salary. One way or another, they're basically allowing him to set himself up as the legitimate leader of the community in the United States. And we need to figure out a way to to challenge that and say and and to get to moderate mainstream Muslims, rank and file Muslims and, and get them to say this is not OK. This guy brings our community and our our faith and and, and and it doesn't and it doesn't require them to take the position that that I have or that I suspect you two have on the Arab Israeli conflict to do that. Just don't do war crimes. Right. And that goes for you two Palestinians. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's absolutely right. Yeah, we're really asking for a low bar. Um I, I used to be more optimistic about the potential for new Muslim American leadership that a openly opposes Hamas to come to power, but it's it's been so long. Um, they haven't been able to get the financial support uh, that they need, uh, the organizational infrastructure. Uh, so one problem that we have is that while we can get organizations and influencers to step away from care, well, who are they then going to go to? Uh, who can we recommend? Uh, and the only ones that we feel comfortable recommending uh tend not to have a constituency within the Muslim American community. That's, that's very significant. And there was a poll uh, that came out uh, that I keep citing because it actually blew my mind because uh, for all the attacks on myself, my colleagues as being Islamophobic, 
uh, I did not expect a majority of Muslim Americans anywhere near it, not even like a, a huge minority to support Hamas. But a poll was done after the attacks and it found that 57% of Muslim Americans either totally or somewhat agree with Hamas's attacks of Oct- on October 7th. 30% totally agree. Um, and, and so that really blew my mind and it shows that the hill to climb is much steeper than I think any of us uh, really anticipated. Those of us that actually understood that not all Muslims are the same and that this is a fight between radicals and moderates. Uh, I think that that was a rude awakening for us. Those yeah, I mean, results. it's the yeah. it's again, you wonder how much of it is just sort of that that nationalist impulse, you know, because, again, you could see it back in, you know, back in the 70s and 80s with the some of the support that Irish Americans were giving to to the provisional IRA. Yeah, I mean, if, I, right. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys well, think But even during World War II, look, there was the German Bund. There were German, pro-German, or, and pro-Hitler organizations here in the United States. But ultimately, when things really got serious, th- those organizations were pretty quickly marginalized. Uh, and essentially, people understood what they had. People were asked a very, dis- history asked them a very decisive question, what side do you want? And the thing is, is that what we've done in the United States is that we've allowed Muslim leaders or Islamist leaders in the United States to essentially affirm or demand the rights for their communities in such a manner without them having to acknowledge the rights of others as well. And that is the mathematical equation that we have to keep presenting people, that you cannot demand rights for yourself without acknowledging the rights of others. And that is, you know, that's a very obvious point. And as we keep hammering away at that point i think hopefully in the long run we're going to win well uh before i let you guys go uh dexter is there anything else you'd like to promote that you're working on uh well right now one of the things if you go to uh, focus on western islamism you're going to see a lot of work by sam westrup uh and also other writers like Susanna johnston we have a whole uh section on the public uh, funding of islamist organizations and it's astonishing to find that essentially uh, state, local, and federal governments are uh, providing income and money to Islamist organizations in the United States, uh, even though these organizations basically express opinions and ideas that are contrary to the very republic itself. So Islamism.news. Thanks. Okay. Well, thanks again to my colleague Ryan Morrow and Dexter Van Zyl of the Middle East Forum for joining us. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. Thanks so much. That was great. Yeah.